الحمد لله الحمد لله خالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم فملق التوبة على الندم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم بالشرف الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم الحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا والحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على دين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وَإِنَّ شَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا وَإِنَّ كُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم والذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات لندخلنهم في الصالحين اللهم أدخلنا في الصالحين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر أمين يا رب العالمين uh, I want to share with you in this khutbah uh, some things about a single ayah of the Quran this is uh, ayah number 9 of surah al-ankabut the 29th surah of the Quran it was revealed at a very pivotal time in the life of the Prophet and his mission as a messenger. It was given to him when things were escalating in Mecca and they were beyond the point where they, the majority of Quraysh were just you know, mocking what he was saying or feeling pity for him in the beginning that he must have lost his mind or then later on to kind of dismiss what he's saying. They came up with different theories that were they were spreading around like he's plagiarizing it from Jews and Christians or he's just gotten some excerpts from the Bible or he's got some you know people that have cast a spell on him or so all of the or he's a poet he's really creative all of those allegations have now been you know levied and they've been distributed and none of them stuck and he's still you know delivering the Quran to them and their theories that were the propaganda that was being spread the point of which was to undermine what the Qur'an is saying, all of that has failed. Well, when all of those tactics fail, then the next phase is anybody who listens to him and he himself is a threat to our society. And these people are a cult. These Muslims, they call themselves, are a cult. And they are a danger to our tradition. And anybody who believes in him, they become completely loyal to this, these words that he's giving them. 
and they are willing to do anything but let go of those beliefs and they have become fanatical and therefore we have to eradicate that fanaticism by you know by extreme measures because they're extremists we have to take extreme measures to deal with extremists right and it was an interesting rhetoric interesting way of thinking because extremism would be that you're unwilling to think or consider or be questioned but the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was openly saying by the quran things like hatu burhanakum fatu bi mithli bring forward your evidences why don't you engage in thought you know come let me read this to you let's engage in conversation let's talk ask them this in other words the quran was not you know what what a cult does to create extremism is a cult cuts you off from any other way of thinking it the purpose of a cult is to isolate you to to tell you that your family doesn't understand society doesn't understand only we understand so don't listen to all of them because they'll mess you up only listen to us because we'll protect you and we'll tell you what the truth really is and by the time you get brainwashed enough you don't want to hear anything from anybody else right that's how a cult operates and then they can become so extreme that you can you can dictate to them to a cult what is right and what is wrong and the, the starting point of that is actually isolation the starting point is we don't want anything to do with the larger society, right? And you, once you isolate somebody, they become more, more vulnerable and they're more susceptible to being brainwashed and they're more susceptible to, to, you know, really be altered in their way of thinking, the right and wrong and everything else. And what's a, what's a good measure? How would you know that somebody has been brainwashed or has been indoctrinated into a cult? Well, if they're contradicted or if they're told that they're wrong about something, they will explode. They will absolutely lose their temper and start attacking you and maybe attack you verbally, abuse you verbally, or maybe even get to physical. None of which is the case with the Prophet ﷺ and the people who've come to believe in him. In fact, they're very calmly and intellectually distributing the message of the Quran and asking society to think about what it is that he is saying and to question these traditions that make no sense. So when the Prophet ﷺ poses questions from on behalf of the Quran about, for example, you know, uh, in a short surah, most you know, even kids memorize these surahs at the end of the Quran. It's a very profound and politically incorrect statement for the time. To give help you understand what was going on back then, there were people that were millionaires and they were even in a position of governance because they were in charge of their tribes. Right, so they made all the major decisions, and this was a religious society. But their religion was, you know, worship of different kinds of idols, and all the idols were placed in the idol, you know, center, which was actually around the Kaaba. So the the idols weren't spread in different temples all over Mecca; they were all centralized in, you know, around the Kaaba. So in order for these religious leaders to look like they are the moral and spiritual authority, also they would pose and come and do the prayers and do you know, the rituals that they do at the temples, even though they didn't really believe in any of that stuff. They were just doing it to let the people know that they're religious too. Oh, look, he's such a righteous man. Not only is he rich, famous, God must have blessed him too, because look, he prays to God or our God also, whichever version of God they had or whichever gods they had. This is not very different from when politicians are up for re-election 
they'll start showing up at churches, not nowadays because of the social distancing, but they'll show up at you know religious centers and churches and kiss babies and stuff on camera so that people can say, oh, they're like us, they're relatable, right? And the Quran exposes these people lie. They're lying against the religion because they, the truth of it is they push the orphan. They deny the religion, they push the orphan. What does that mean they push the orphan? Even if they don't physically find an orphan and push them, they create policies, they have business practices, they've created an environment in which who gets pushed out and starved to death? People that don't have any support from family, like orphans. Right? So they look, they, they posture themselves as sympathetic and religious, while the reality is they're the reason people are suffering. And the Quran came and exposed that and said, you know, those people, even when they do pray, and it's the commentary is duality, this is prayer of the Muslims, but this is the, even in their version of prayer, even when they do it, they're lazy and they're just showing off. They're just doing it for a show. That's that's it's just a demonstration of how religious they are. The Quran came and exposed political leadership. Quran came and ex exposed religious corruption at the very top. You know, at the you know, in, in whatever religion it may be. This is not a religion that said, stop thinking. Actually, the Prophet was commanded to say, Tell them this is my path. I invite to Allah with insight, with eyes open. Like he's inviting people to consider what's being said. Ask themselves, ask questions. Ask the people of remembrance if you don't know. Go ask them. And the Prophet this religion didn't even go after people that don't know much and they're like kind of searching and they're easy to, easy to target and then we can convert them to Islam. The, the Quran went after the rabbis, went after the priests, went after the most knowledgeable of other religions, went after the intellectual leadership of Mecca. It's not even targeting people that you might think primarily are just, oh, they're so vulnerable, they can't think for themselves, so they'll easily get coaxed into this religious doctrine. That wasn't the message of the Qur'an. But what's amazing is in order to attack Islam and attack the Prophet that's how it was painted to society. So the reality of it was something else, and the way that it was presented to the, to the Meccan world was something else. And the society was then convinced these people are extreme, they're thoughtless, they don't want to, they, they want to eradicate society, they want to do away with our way of life, they're a threat, and even if your family member has become part of one of them, then it's like they are infected with a virus, and we must disinfect them by whatever extreme means necessary, and therefore the torture of Sahaba began. The, the, you know, it's not just physical and verbal abuse now, economic abuse began, physical abuse actually began. People started getting tortured, in some cases even getting killed, like Khabbab bin Arad, who was, who was forced to lie down on the ground on, on, on coal. Like he, they made him lie down on his back on coal, and then they stood on him on burning coal until his back pe you know, peeled off. This, this, was the, this was happening, and it was now normal because he deserves it, because they're extreme. They're a threat. This is the only way they can be helped. It's like they're possessed and we're trying to you know, burn the, the devil out of them. The, this was their rationale, right? So what, what does Allah say about these kinds of evil acts? The devil made their deeds beautiful to them. So what Allah is telling us is people that do the most evil deeds don't say we're doing an evil deed. They actually say we're doing something good. We're saving society. 
People that are doing that kind of torture are actually saying, we love our nation, we're protecting our country, we're protecting our tribe, we're protecting our city, we're doing this for the greater good, we're eradicating an evil. These sound really good. Like who wouldn't say, I want to protect my country or eradicate evil? Or I don't like extremism. Nobody likes extremism. Our, you know, as Muslims, we are people of i'tidal, people of justice, fairness, balance. If, if, if the Quran doesn't emphasize anything else in human life, it's balance. You know? It's, Allah says he, he created the sky and put a balance in it. So you always remember that you should never violate scales and keep things in balance. So this happens. And this, by the way, is not, I haven't gotten to the ayah I was going to talk to you about. But I wanted to set the stage for the ayah. So this happens and the Muslims are now being tortured. Now it's open season in Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ has been physically attacked. Habab bin Arad has been burnt. Bilal radiallahu anhu has a boulder on his chest. Yasir radiallahu anhu and his family. And, you know, and, and what's, what's happened to them? They've been torn, ripped apart. Physically their bodies ripped apart. People are being buried halfway into the ground. All kinds of heinous crimes against humanity have started to happen in the name of eradicating extremism. And in that environment, Khabab, who was so overwhelmed by what's happening to the Muslims and to, to the few that have believed in the Prophet he came with his back burnt. And you could imagine if you're in that state, you can't even put clothes on it because it would hurt. And he comes to the Prophet and he says, why is, why is Allah letting this happen to us? Basically he says, you know, why, is, why, why do we have to go through this? I thought we're on the truth. And in response to him and those around him that were being tortured in this way, Allah revealed Surah Al-Ankabut, the 29th surah, the beginning passage of the surah. So this, this the Ajal revealed for them, for their guidance. Because you see, Allah has given us guidance for every situation. Allah has given us guidance for when we have power. For when we have wealth, He has given us guidance when we don't have any wealth. He has given us guidance for when we're healthy. He's given us guidance for when we're sick. He's given us guidance when we are in a state of peace. He's given us guidance when we are in a state of being oppressed. Every condition needs different kinds of guidance. You're in a different environment, in a different setting, and you'll need a different set of principles to understand what is what would be the best course of action for me in that setting, in that environment. And so in this terrible state, Allah revealed this first passage of Surah Al-Kabut. And I wanted to not talk about the entire passage, but actually just take one ayah from that passage. And to what, I, what made me want to talk to you guys about this passage, or this, this particular ayah, is that one of the forms of torture is to actually make someone feel like they don't belong. Right? What, what makes them easy targets now, what makes it okay for them to be treated in this way, is... That first you identify them not as part of us. They are we are us, they are them. They're someone else. They're not really our family anymore. They've been kicked out of the family. You're not really a member of our tribe anymore. You've been ostracized from the tribe. You're not, you know, in modern uh, language, this can be used by way of race, this can be used by way of tribe, this can be used by way of immigration status. You're not really an American, you're an illegal alien. So basically, what that that's another mass way of saying you're not quite human. Right, where, where the rest of us are fully human, we have full human rights. You don't have as much human rights because you know you don't have papers to prove that you're human, right? So th this dichotomy it, it even exists in modern societies. But in their case, it was 
you you've left the religion of your your tribe you've left the religion of your ancestors you defied our culture you say things that criticize our doctrine by the way as i talk you should have realized who's the actual cult because the cult can't tolerate conversation right they need they only need zombies they only need brainwashed people and anybody who wakes up needs to get beaten and put back to sleep or removed that's a cult so what's crazy is the only one that's not a cult is the muslims in that environment but what does Allah say about those people that got isolated? Because because of Islam, now they no longer have a family. They no longer have people who used to love them, now hate them. They no longer feel like they belong as citizens of that community. Everywhere they go, they're objects of ridicule, or at the very least, they're being looked at the wrong way. They can be attacked at any time. They're completely isolated and cut off. It's like floating in space. And what does Allah say about those people when they're in that state? He says, He says, those, of the, those who have had faith and have done good deeds or do good deeds, we will absolutely enter them into the company of good people. That was a pretty loaded statement. First of all, Allah says, you may have done a lot of good by holding on to your faith, but if you continue to do so, because when this pressure builds up, you might say, why am I torturing myself? Why can't I just be like everybody else? If I just let go of this, this Islam thing a little bit, or maybe I'll just be Muslim in my heart. You know, because the outward expression of my faith and me speaking up about what I believe gets me in trouble. So just be quiet about it. Don't, don't say it. Then my uncle won't be offended and he won't kick me out of the house. And my mom won't lose her mind and she'll stop giving me food. And my neighbors won't start throwing you know, garbage on me. I mean, all my troubles will go away. I could just stay Muslim where? In my heart, and I don't have to do anything. I mean, even if I have to pray, I'll pray with my eyes or something. I'll just make it easier for myself. Or maybe I should just, I mean, okay, fine, this religion makes sense, but come on, what kind of God would put me in so much trouble just because I follow the truth? Man, every time I follow the truth, more trouble happens. That can't be right, because if he controls the whole universe, then the more I come closer to him, he should make my life easier. Because he controls everything. But this doesn't make sense to me because the more I come closer to him, my life keeps getting what? Harder. So I should just take a few steps back and make my life easier. I think that's what God really wants. To, to give me an easy life. In other words, now you start speaking on behalf of Allah. Right? And that's going to that's gonna get addressed in this passage also. That's going to get addressed in this passage also. That if you're... Uh, uh, you know, if if you don't accept Allah's word, you start speaking on behalf of Allah, and you start telling yourself, "No, no, this is what Allah wants. This is what Allah doesn't want. This is what Allah wants me to do." And you you start overriding what Allah actually says. You feel like you have the license to do that, so you can be in a more comfortable place. So people are very good at lying to themselves. Yeah. By the way, one of the ayat in this passage is Allah will expose those who are truthful. And Allah will expose the liars. It has many layers, that statement. And one of those layers is people even lie to themselves to back away from deen. And they tell themselves a lie. And they lie on behalf of Allah to themselves. But coming back to this ayah, if you can go through, well, I, since I decided to love Allah, since I decided to show love to Allah and show love to Allah's Messenger, وسلم, and show loyalty to them, it seems everybody else considers me disloyal. 
I've lost the loyalties of everyone else. And so, but I decided that I'm going to have faith and I'm going to hold on to my loyalties to Allah and His Messenger and I'm going to continue to do what's right even if everybody around me hates it. And the more I do right, the more isolated I get, right? The more I continue to hold on to what's right, the more isolated I'll be. The more they'll hate me, the more they'll think you're not the same person anymore. The more they think you need to get out, you need to get out of our lives because you're no longer welcome. At the very least, and it could be physically abusive and other things worse. That can be that can follow too. In that scenario, Allah said, "Those of those who believed and continue to do good to do good deeds, We will absolutely enter them, infuse them into good into righteous people. And what that means, you had a best friend. You guys used to do everything together before the Islam days. And then you came towards Islam, and now they hate your guts. They don't want to talk to you. And you miss having a friend. You miss having people that loved you. You miss having people that you sat and ate with. And what does Allah do? Allah plucks you out of that, and He brings you into a new environment. Even though you haven't left Mecca, your situation economically hasn't gotten better. It's only gotten worse. Socially, it hasn't gotten better. It has only gotten worse. But now all of a sudden, you're around other people who also love Allah and also love Allah's Messenger. And you start finding a different kind of company. And their stand, you know, when, you, when you're in a group of people, when you're in a society, every society has standards, right? And you got to keep up with the standards. So, for example, if you're uh, professionals, they have a certain standard among themselves. If people are in a certain economic class, when they throw each other parties, they have certain standards. No, don't get that. Get that. That's, that's cheap. That's nicer. Get that instead. When people are in a certain, you know, in a certain community, when they're going to hold a wedding ceremony, they're going to hold it with a certain standard because they have to keep up appearances, right? And those standards are about what kind of education, what kind of job, what kind of car, what kind of clothes, you know, what kind of language, what kind of what size TV in your home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are standards, right, in your, you know, circle. And if some people are higher, everybody else wants to become like them. Right, what, the, what us Americans call keeping up with the Joneses, right? But now when you're in this new company, you realize all those other standards? You know the standards of what she, well, well, she got those shoes, man, I, got, I need to get at least that same brand or equivalent because I'll feel cheap otherwise. Man, he got that car, I need to get at least a car of similar horsepower and you know, look and feel. He, it, that disappears. This company... They don't have any of those standards. One of them's a millionaire. One of them is homeless. One of them was a slave. One of them is a foreigner. Hey, I mean, y'all don't have a standard. Like you don't, you're not, you're not dressed the same. You don't come from the same background. You don't have the same educational history. One of you has a PhD. One of you is a high school dropout. One of you never doesn't even know how to read. But you're all standing together and praying together. You know what happens when that you enter into a truly good company? Truly good company means all the things that make someone better or worse in your past life, all the metrics, all the parameters, all the meters that you use to gauge, this person is in a better place than me. Well, that's because they have a degree. Oh, this person is in a better place than me because they have a high paying job. Or this person is in a better place than me because they have more expensive clothes than I do. Or this person is in a better place than me because they have this, this, this. We look at these things and say, these people are doing better than we are, right? When you're in this new company, then all of that stuff disappears. 
Because the only thing that you look at them and say, they're in a better place than me, is man, their faith is so strong. Look at the good deeds they're able to do despite the adversity they face. Look at how they carry themselves. Look at how Alhamdulillah just comes out of their mouth with a smile, even though I know they're going through so much trouble. Man. And, the, and you have nothing socially in common. You may have nothing ethnically in common. You may have nothing economically in common. But these are the things that make people become friends. But none of those are applicable here. What's applicable is when you're around them, you, you can sense how their, their closeness to Allah is like an energy vibe coming out of them. And you can feel it. And the goodness they have in, inside of them. And the goodness they demonstrate with the smallest things. With, the, with their facial expressions, with the way they speak, with the things that they do, with the way they show care for others. With the way they speak about Allah, with the way they remember Allah, with the gentle, gentleness that they show, with the love of the Prophet ﷺ that comes out of them from their tongue, but also comes out of them from their personality. Just because of that, you just want to be around them. You just want because this is Allah says you're going to go through torture and people are going to absolutely hate you for holding on to Islam, but when you do, I will pluck you out of there, and I'll give you a new surrounding. And I'll introduce you to actually good people Where you'll feel welcome Not because of how you look you won't, you, You'll feel welcome Not because of the color of your skin Or the tribe you came from Or how much money you make Or what degree you have Or what kind of vocabulary you have Actually even among these people It doesn't even matter how knowledgeable you are Even that doesn't matter There are some sahaba who are very knowledgeable There are other sahaba who practically knew None, nothing. There were Ashabu Sufa who studied under the Prophet. ﷺ. And there are those who practically knew nothing. They would come to the Prophet ﷺ and say, Just tell me one thing I can do. Right? That doesn't sound like a student. The student would say, Tell me everything. I want to learn everything. Not just tell me one thing I can do. Right? They were at different levels. But there was a love and respect among them. <clears throat> Even knowledge was not a way that they distinguished each other and said, This person is better than I am. Yes, their knowledge is making them Putting them in a position to worship Allah more So I would like to learn more So I can worship Allah more But no matter, even if I know just Alif And I don't even know Ba yet I can still worship Allah pretty good Because the worship of Allah doesn't happen here It happens here Right? So a lot of people, when they didn't know a lot When they didn't have much knowledge They were much closer to Allah And then they learned a lot And they took classes and they can teach and they, they, they know a lot now and they're much further from Allah than they used to be. That happens. And there are some points in my life I felt that way. I felt like, man, before I knew Arabic, I used to cry a lot more. There was a point in my life. I used to cry to Allah a lot more. I felt like my heart was closer. I'm jealous of that person who didn't know Arabic sometimes. I want to be more like my old self. You know, th that can be the case. So what I'm saying is, we are going to find ourselves truly blessed when we find that genuine company. That company whose standards, who have left the fake standards of this life. You guys, ironically, many of you are watching this on social media. And social media is a place of setting false standards constantly. Right? You're following people that make you want to look a certain way. Make you want to dress a certain way Make you want to talk a certain way Make you want to live a certain way Right? And you're just, you're just looking at these facade lives 
you and I, and we're like, man, I wish I had that. And now look at this. Now look at this. And our eyes glaze over every scroll. <gasps> more material, more material, more material. Dunya, more dunya, more dunya. Oh, man, these people have so much. Oh, my God, I want to go to this place. I want to go to this amazing valley that I saw these people went to. And when I go there, I'm not going to enjoy the valley. I'm just going to make sure I get a picture for to post. <laughs> the irony of it all. Everybody's faking it. Good company would mean things that don't matter will actually stop mattering. And things that do matter. Goodness that does matter. The lasting or lasting things are the things that are good. Those are better in, 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 in you know before your master. And so I, I would conclude with really think about who you're surrounding yourself with and what kind of standards those people influence to set in your life. And are you blessed to the point where when you when you have the kind of friends that when you're around them, they make you want to do more good? They make you want to prepare yourself to stand in front of Allah one day. Because you will be standing in front of Allah one day. I will be standing in front of Allah one day. One day, ila rabbikal muntaha. Okay, we talk about, man, I want to move to that neighborhood. I'm going to see that car. Yeah, I'm going to get that car one day. Oh, that's it. It's on. Because my goal, my goal is this car. My goal is this house. My goal is this, my goal. And friends are talking about these goals with each other, right? But when are we going to find those kinds of friends? And I pray that we do. That when they say, you know, Allah says, "Ila Rabbikal Muntaha," your final destination is standing in front of your master. He's the one who'll make you laugh. He's the one who'll make you cry. It was beautiful because when we stand in front of Allah, it's going to make us laugh and cry. That's the that's the believer's relationship with Allah. The joy of it and the overwhelming feeling of it is going to make both happen, and Allah will make both happen. May Allah give us that meeting with Him and make us worthy of that meeting with Him. So with that, inshallah ta'ala, I conclude today's khutbah. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim and with the dua that Allah may Allah include us among the company of the righteous. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa'a wa salatu wa salamu ala ibadihi al-lathina astafa khususan ala afdalihim wa khatam al-nabiyyin Muhammadin al-Amin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر الله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا